Let us turn to Luke chapter 18 for our second reading this evening. The Gospel according to Luke. And let us read one or two verses from chapter 18. We would pick up the reading there from verse 31. So Luke chapter 18 at verse 31 for our reading. Then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles, and shall be mocked, and spitefully entreated, and spitted on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. And they understood none of these things, and this same was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho, a certain blind man sat by the wayside begging, and he to the multitude passed by, he asked what it meant. And they said unto him, That Jesus of Nazareth passes by. And he cried, saying, Jesus, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And they which went before rebuked him, that he should hold his peace. But he cried so much the more, Thou son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And when he was come near, he asked him, saying, What wilt thou that I shall do unto thee? And he said, Lord, that I may receive my sight. And Jesus said unto him, Receive thy sight, thy faith hath saved thee. And immediately he received his sight, and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, give praise unto God. Amen. And may the Lord bless the reading of his infallible word. Tonight we want to continue our study in Luke's Gospel. We want to look particularly at the verses 35 to 43 there concerning the healing of the blind man. The previous verses from 31 to 34, what do we have there? We have the Lord Jesus Christ being frank with his disciples again. And someone has counted that this is the seventh time in the book of Luke that Jesus told his disciples that he was going to suffer and die at Jerusalem. And this description here is its most fulsome description of the sufferings of the Lord Jesus. And just to say one brief word about it, basically, before we move on to our text, last week we saw about the cost of following the Lord Jesus and how the disciples, the apostles, would be more than recompensed in this world and in the world to come. And there in the verses that follow, the ones we have just read, Jesus is reminding them what it costs to secure their salvation. And we might say in one sense, he was going to be talking from experience. He knew what it would be to suffer and die. He knew what it was that he had to undertake in order 
to secure their salvation. And if you put that in the light of their sufferings for discipleship, they pale into insignificance. No matter how much the disciples might suffer, and they would suffer, it pales into insignificance. When you think of the physical, the emotional, and primarily the spiritual sufferings that Christ endured in order to save his people, then the sufferings of the disciples are surely put into perspective. But as I say, we want to look at these verses 34 to 43, where we have the the healing of the blind man. And the title I'd like to give to our meditation tonight is The Blind Man Who Saw. The Blind Man Who Saw. And I hope to elaborate upon that title For I do not want you to simply think that this man was healed and then he saw. Which is true, of course. But the very essence of this parable, this part of scripture is that this blind man saw spiritually before he saw physically. The blind man who saw And this incident is recorded in two other Gospels for us. It's recorded in Matthew's Gospel in chapter 20 and Mark and chapter 10. And we will draw from these other Gospel records in order that we might have a a fuller picture of the incident. Because it's recorded three times for us and therefore we are to take notice of it. There are lessons to learn from this incident. Matthew's Gospel tells us that there were two beggars. Luke only mentions one here. Mark mentions the name of the one beggar here. It's Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. Matthew also mentions that, and Matthew and Mark mentions that this uh, incident happened as Jesus was coming out of Jericho. Whereas here in Luke's account, we are told in verse 35 that he was come nigh to Jericho. And people will say, well, there's a contradiction here. Well, we we obviously don't believe there's a contradiction. There may well be things that we cannot explain or understand, but there's a couple of explanations that are quite apt and appropriate. Jericho was a place that was once under a curse. And history would tell us there were two Jerichos. There was the old Jericho and the new Jericho. So one might be referring to the old Jericho and the other could be referring to the new Jericho. But also there's another explanation in verse 35. And it came to pass that as he was come nigh unto Jericho... Uh, That could easily be translated as he was moving around Jericho. As he was moving around Jericho. Whatever. Whether you accept these explanations or not, it is irrelevant because we ultimately take the view that the scriptures are perfect. And what Luke recorded, 
has been inspired. And what Matthew and Mark have recorded has also been inspired. And one day maybe we'll be able to know much more and have a greater and better understanding. But we are sure that what we're looking at here is that there were two beggars, blind beggars, who were, had their sight restored. Luke only mentions one, but his name is Blind Bartimaeus. Well, I have four brief things that I wish to highlight from this passage of Scripture. First of all, and this surely is, is evident and obvious to us, first of all, here was a blind man who saw his need. He saw his need. He was physically blind. Now that is a terrible disability, friends. And usually, not always, but as we get older, our sight fails. And we do not like to, have our, to lose our sight. But here was a man who couldn't see at all. And that was a terrible predicament for a man at this time, 2,000 years ago. He had to beg. No one would support him. There was no state system to look after him. He had to fend for himself as best as he could, and obviously he couldn't work a normal job. And therefore he was beside the roadside begging. And he saw his great need. He couldn't see the trees. He couldn't see the flowers. He couldn't see the sun. He couldn't see people. He couldn't see anything. He was absolutely blind. But as he saw his need, he did what he could. He didn't stay in his bed. He didn't stay in his home. He went out. He went by the wayside. He went by the wayside because people would be passing by and people would see him and he would hope that they would have mercy upon him. They would see his predicament and that they might contribute towards his upkeep, give him some food or give him some money in order that he might be able to live. And he was acutely aware of his great need. No one had to tell him. He got up every morning. He couldn't see a thing. Getting dressed would be difficult. Washing his face and all of these kind of things would be a trial to him. Getting his food would be a trial to him. He knew his great need. He lived daily with this terrible disability that had come upon him. Here, surely, is a picture of a sinner. It is a picture of every one of us by nature. We are blind to spiritual truths and realities. But the problem is, we don't see it. We don't reckon this. The Bible will tell us these things. We're dead in trespasses and sins. We cannot see the truth as it is in Jesus. We cannot see the way that God sees us. We think we're all right. We don't think there's a problem with us. Oh, there may well be a problem with someone else, but not with us. We don't see things as God sees things. Because by nature, we are spiritually blind. And when the gospel is proclaimed to us, and when the claims of Christ are pressed upon us, they are for someone else. We don't see our need by nature. 
Now this man wasn't in that predicament. He knew his need. And I wonder, friends, as we sit here tonight, do we recognize our great need? Do we recognize our great need to be right with God? Do we recognize our great need to have our sins forgiven and to be reconciled to him? Do we recognize the wonder and the beauty and the glory and the majesty of the Lord Jesus Christ? How often have we heard about the cross and how often have we looked figuratively at Jesus on the cross? We see why he was placed there. We see why he had to undertake that. We see the crown of thorns upon his head. We see the blood rushing from his side and from his hands and from his feet. We hear the jeers of the crowd. We see all of these things and we add to that. We know the life of Christ in Gethsemane. And we see that he was forsaken by his disciples. And he was betrayed even by one of the apostles. All of this is clear to us in some sense. But do we recognize that all of this was brought about in order that there would be a gospel to proclaim? In order that there might be a way back to God? Does these things mean anything to us at all? Or are we cold and indifferent and think that they are for someone else? If that be the case then, we don't see our need. Somehow we think we're going to be right with God another way. But there's going to be no other way. No other way. And we are to see our need. What are we to do then? Well, we are to cry out to the living God that he might open our eyes. We might see perfectly well physically. We might have what they call 20-20 vision. We can see far out. We can drive a car. We can do all of these things. But if we don't see what a sinner, if we don't recognize this, if we don't see something of the holiness of God... And if our terrible plight should we stand before him without the righteousness of Christ, then truly we are blind. And no matter how educated we might be, if we know nothing of this, friends, we do not see our need. And maybe that's where you are tonight. Maybe that's why Christ is a stranger to you. You don't see your need. What are you to do? Well, you're to cry out. You're to cry out that God indeed would reveal your need. This poor man didn't need anyone. He knew his need. There's a second thing. And there's something quite amazing here. This blind man. He knew his need. He saw his need. But he also saw the Messiah. He saw the Messiah. He was on the wayside. And hearing the multitude pass by, he asked what it meant. And verse 37, we are told, They told him that Jesus of Nazareth passeth by. Instantly, we might say his ears tingled. What? Jesus of Nazareth passes by? 
This is what the crowd said. This was the crowd's description of this great prophet, this great miracle worker, this great preacher who had in some sense turned upside down uh, Galilee and was on his way to Jerusalem. Oh, it's just Jesus of Nazareth. It's him that's passing by. But it wasn't just Jesus of Nazareth to Bar blind Bartimaeus. He knew something about Jesus of Nazareth. He had heard about his miracles. He had heard that people were healed. He had heard that Jesus had raised to life people who were dead. He had heard that people had their ears opened so that they could hear. And their tongues were loosened so they could speak for the first time in their lives. He even heard of others who were blind who had received their sight. And therefore, it wasn't simply Jesus of Nazareth for him. No. What does he say? In verse 38, And he cried, saying, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see? Do you see the difference? Oh, it's just Jesus of Nazareth. No, no, not for him. This is Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. And he recognized with all his blindness and with all his difficulties and all his isolation, he recognized that this was, yes, obviously, Jesus of Nazareth, but more than that, it was Jesus, thou son of David. In other words, here's the long-promised Messiah. Here he is passing by. Here is the one that the Jews had longed for. And what did he know? He was in his vicinity. He was passing by. He was at the wayside. And Jesus was going to pass by him. He had faith. Even with his physical blindness. He had a spiritual sight. Sharp spiritual perspective because he knew that with all the signs that Jesus had performed or all the miracles that Jesus had performed proved and pointed to the fact that he was the Messiah. That's why we read from Isaiah chapter 42 verse chapter 42 because in verse 7 what do we find? This is one of the things that the Messiah would do to open the blind eyes, to bring out the prisoners from the prison, and them that sit in darkness out of the prison house. He must have known something of the scriptures. He must have known something of the Old Testament scriptures. He must have heard that this is one of the characteristics of the Messiah. When he comes, he will perform wonderful miracles. And one of these miracles will be that he will give sight to the blind. And Jesus had done it before. Therefore, he can do it again. And he was passing by. So he saw the Messiah. We remembered, because we looked at it when we went through Luke's Gospel, John the Baptist was in prison and he sent two of his disciples to Jesus asking, 
Art thou the one that is to come, or do we look for another? And Jesus responded by saying to John's disciples, Then Jesus answered, said unto them, Go your way, and tell John what things ye have seen and heard, how that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, to the poor the gospel is preached. That's what Jesus was doing. And John was to realize that this was the Messiah. He was the one that they, they had looked for. Now we know all of this. But we know more in some respect. We know that lives have been changed when people come to the Lord Jesus. People who were spiritually blind, spiritually dead, lost in this world. Yet when they came to Christ, what happened? Their lives were changed. Their lives were transformed. Once they were ungodly. Once they were just like everyone else. But when Christ entered into their lives, their lives changed. And you know that. You have seen that. Does this not tell us, therefore, that Christ truly is the God-appointed Savior? He is the Messiah. He is the one that God has promised away back in Genesis chapter 3. He is the one who has fulfilled all of these things. There's no one else coming. This poor blind beggar with all his faults and disabilities. He saw what the scribes, the Pharisees, the chief priests and many didn't see. He saw Christ as the Messiah. Thirdly, <clears throat> he saw his opportunity. What is he told again in verse 37? That Jesus of Nazareth passes by. We are ones who truly believe in the sovereignty of God. The sovereignty of God in all matters. We are happy to acknowledge that there are no accidents with God. None whatsoever. He has, as our catechism says, foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And he is sovereign in the salvation of sinners. And however much people might balk at that statement, we believe it. We know it's true. But we also, on the other hand, also believe in human responsibility. And this is what we see here. Here was a man sitting by the roadside, doing all he could, begging in order to sustain his life. He hears wonderful news. He believes this is the Messiah. But what does he hear? He's passing by. And what does he say? Or what does he say to himself? What is his attitude? What is it that motivates him? Basically, he says, friends, 
Well, he's not going to pass by here without hearing from me. He's not going to pass by and leave me behind. I'm going to have an audience with him. This is what he says. He recognizes this is his opportunity. He's heard of Christ before. But now Christ is within touching distance, we might say. This is his golden opportunity. This is what God has given to him in his providence. This is him, if you like, at a crossroads. It's now or never that he's going to be healed. He didn't know what was happening. We know because we have the history. But Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. And we know what happened there. It was Gethsemane and then it was Golgotha. Jesus was going to give up his life. He was never going to pass this way again. And this man grasped this opportunity. He was going to have an audience with Christ. Christ was going to hear his voice. And surely this is the way it must be for every single one of us. I do believe, friends, especially for those who are under the means of grace... That we get an opportunity to close in with Christ. We do get an opportunity. We all come to that point when we come to a crossroads. When we have to nail our colors to the mast. And when we have to reach out and call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there are occasions when he passes by. And when he's closer on some occasions than other occasions. You could think of things that happen to you in providence. Illness might come your way. You may have been fit, active. Suddenly you're brought low. Suddenly you're... You're on a bed. Suddenly your mortality has been brought home to you again. Maybe it's a serious illness. You've been shaken by it. In some way that's the Lord Jesus Christ passing by. That's him, if you like, using providence to humble you. That you might consider things that ordinarily you would never consider. You put them out of the back of your mind. You don't want to consider these things. Or maybe it's when a loved one is taken from you. Death really hits home then. Maybe a parent. Maybe a sibling. Maybe a dear friend. One you've grown up with. Experience much with that friend and what do you know? They've gone. You miss them. They're gone into eternity. You think about your own mortality. Where are you going to go? This is Jesus passing by. This is Jesus awakening you. This is Jesus, if you like, calling out to you in the gospel that you might truly consider the claims of Christ and that you might close in with him as he has freely offered in the gospel. Well, this man came to his crossroads experience. 
And he saw his opportunity. And he took his opportunity. We know that he faced much discouragement. He was told there in verse 39 that he should hold his peace. Jesus is not going to bother with you. You're a beggar. Jesus has more important things to do than bother with you. Be quiet. You're causing too much noise. Was he put off? No. We admire his spirit. But he cried so much the more. There was a lot of noise going around. He had to raise his voice. Otherwise Jesus would not hear him. There was a great multitude. And when a great multitude is there. There's a lot of noise. And here he is. Low down the ground. Sitting there by the wayside. Jesus could easily pass him. And not notice him. But he wouldn't have that. He would have none of it. Shut up. No way. He's going to speak. He's going to raise his voice. Jesus is going to hear him. Oh, that we might adopt his spirit. Oh, that we would be like him. Oh, that we would cry out to the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is applicable, friends, to unbelievers and indeed to believers. Does the Lord Jesus Christ hear our voice? Do we cry out to him for our needs, for our wants, for our deficiencies? This man could teach us a great lesson that when Jesus Christ passes by, we are to cling on to him and he's to hear our voice. Mark adds a very touching remark about this. This man had his opportunity, he cried, he raised his voice and ultimately Jesus heard and Jesus told him. We're told here in verse 40, Jesus stood and commanded him to be brought unto him. And Mark adds something else, something that's very, very important. In Mark chapter 10 verse 50, and he casting away his garment rose and came to Jesus. Oh, it's a very slight thing. But here's the man, he gets up, he has a garment on him, and he takes it off and he casts it away because he wants to go to Jesus. But here we have a blind man casting off his garment. What does it tell you? Well, it tells me, friends, that he was a man who was convinced that Jesus was going to heal him. And after he would receive his sight, he would be able to go and pick up his garment. He saw his opportunity. He took his opportunity. Jesus heard him and called him. That was enough. I'm going to be healed. I'm going to receive my sight He truly had faith. Fourthly, finally, let us notice. He also saw his Savior. 
we said earlier, he saw the Messiah. Many people saw the Messiah, but he saw the Savior. How do we know? Look what it says, friends, in verse 43. And immediately he received his sight and followed him. And followed him, glorifying God. His life was transformed and changed. And all the people, when they saw it, give praise unto God. Here was a man who was transformed. Not only was, did he see now physically, but he began to follow Jesus Christ. He was not like that nine lepers who didn't give thanks. He was one who was delivered from blindness and began to follow Christ Jesus the Lord. He saw his Savior. Can we identify with this, friends? We might not have been physically blind, but by nature we are blind. But he received his sight and followed Christ the Lord. Have we done this? Are we like this? Have we indeed taken up the cross and followed him? Here was a blind man who saw. He saw even before he was cured of his blindness. And he saw sufficiently to follow his Savior. Amen. And may the Lord be pleased to bless his word to us.